we have banned coffee from Garrett's life. <laughs> Doesn't he do a remarkable job? <clears throat> I, got a, I got a text from Charlie and he said, um, hey, in, in the coming new year in January, I want to do an event with my church, Godspeak. And I'm like, all right. And he picked the 30th. I'm like, cool. Uh, I'll be here Sunday the 29th and also on the 30th. On the 29th, even though I'm going to be here, I'm not going to teach because we have a banner weekend. So we're going to go from Sunday to Monday, which Charlie Monday night. But on Sunday, we've got Dr. Keith Rose coming. And it's going to be, yeah. For those of you who don't know who Dr. Keith Rose is, um, he's remarkable. Uh, he worked for an agency that has three letters. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and he's the one who gave us all the intelligence at the beginning of this, and everything he told us was true, um, and, and we stood upon that, that information, and uh, now we're watching that they called us conspiracy theorists and that we were wrong, and now we're watching, well, wait a minute, what's happening? Everything we said is true is, and everything you said that wasn't, well, you're wrong. Seriously, I mean, we're watching... Uh, it, it's a 40, let's see, a 40% increase in the actuary tables of the insurance companies of deaths um, 65 and under. Young people just don't die of cardiac arrest, but we're watching this massive increase in cardiac arrest because of the shot. Oh, and by the way, we have a lifetime ban from YouTube, but we're back on and we came under a new name, Rob with two Bs. <laughs> oh, don't clap, don't clap, because after this message, we'll be off again. Unprecedented censorship. And they're doing that because it's a narrative <clears throat> and it's deadly. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm excited about Dr. Keith coming and also Charlie. Um, I've been sad to be away from you for three weeks. My wife and I um, were, were traveling. We're in Phoenix, St. Louis, Miami, Israel. Um, in St. Louis, we were at a church there, a uh, couple thousand people. And the assistant pastor of the church had attended the pastor summit in Coronado uh, for TPUSA Faith last August. He was so moved, he came back and talked to a senior pastor. A senior pastor was moved. A senior pastor, see, in Missouri, uh, unlike California, they didn't have the lockdowns like we did, but they still had the, you know, injection, uh, manipulation, trying to get everybody to get a shot, lose your job kind of thing. And this pastor, the senior pastor, kind of went with the narrative for a while and just started to look at the data and the assistant pastor came back and said, there's stuff we got to look at. And they opened that up and began to see this narrative opposite of, of what the media has been telling them. And they asked, uh, they asked me to come out with Michelle and it was a three-day event. I met with their staff. Uh, I met with the church in the evening in a question and answer kind of period. And then Sunday I did the services and then I met with a few of their elders and it was four meetings. It was intense. Um, and they wanted to know what, how to do this, how to apply it. And uh, when we were finished, they are, they're red-pilled and ready to roll. And so St. Louis now has, yeah. And I was recovering from uh, shingles and bronchitis. I'm like, this is great. Something special is going to happen because I'm usually not on the verge of death often. <laughs> and then we went over to Israel um, and it was 25 pastors and their wives who had attended the uh, pastor summit, but also who had stood um, in opposition to the tyranny in their own specific ways. A lot from the Pacific Northwest that stood. Um, it, amazing stories from a number of these folks. And uh, we took this trip, and I was the teaching pastor. And, you know, being a teaching pastor in front of pastors is hard because, you know, they're looking at you like, I can do better. And I always address the elephant in the room. I go, you know, you guys probably think you can do better than me. And I have no doubt. But you're not where I am. And nobody asked you to teach. So let's move on. <laughs> it ended up being a tremendous trip. Um, it, it, one of the easiest groups to, I've ever gone to Israel with. I'm 17 times. Michelle and I loved every minute of it. Um, and they were so moved because we do the trip in accordance with the land of liberty. Yeah, and we're so moved by it. Don't worry, they're allowed to cry. This, we're Catholic when it comes to kids. Just let them, let them go nuts. Yeah, right. Don't take advantage of it, though, kiddo. Yeah. 
If you don't know Catholic, they let the kids in on the service, run amok. We have children's ministry. I always say disruptive children are like New Year's resolution. Best one carried out. I'm kidding, 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 I'm serious, I'm kidding. My pastor used to say that and I thought, how mean. And that little girl back there is going, I don't want to go. That's here, she's clapping. No, no, it doesn't disturb me, I'm okay. Uh, so anyways, when, um, when we did this teaching and the pastors were moved, they said, listen, we want, we want to bring our congregations to do this same tour, this liberty tour, this, turning, this TPUSA faith tour, and will you teach it? And I'm like, I'm not going to Israel 25 times. And they said, no, no, we want to do just one joint trip with all the churches. And they all signed up. It's going to be like five to 800 people. It'll be like 10 to 15 buses. That's, that's like that's a, moving a lot of cats. Herding cats is hard. I mean, you get, you get you know, 10% on a trip of a bus of 50 people that are difficult. Try 500, 800 people. You're like, get in line. So that'll be fun. We're going to do that a year from this coming February, and every single pastor signed up to be a part of it. And every one of them shared a testimony about how much the church God speak has meant to them and inspired them when they made their stand. And, and we were on Mount Carmel as we were just kind of beginning the tour. And we're on Mount Carmel, and there's a teaching there that I love to give. Concluded, everyone's fired up. And this busload of Colombian, Brazilian, South American believers are coming in as we're going out, and they go, Pastor Rob. I'm like, yes. Who are you? We follow you. And they're from Colombia and Brazil. I'm like, no, shut up, serious. We just baptized a Japanese guy. We have an international ministry. And they wanted pictures, and the other pastors, I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but my point is, you guys, it's not just a ripple. It's, it's, it's a tidal wave that you've created, not only in the country, but across the world. So bless you guys. And then finally, before we begin uh, with the message, I wanted to share with you last night, we had a, um, a dinner to honor our volunteers. And we've done this often. It used to be a handful of people. And because of the church's expansive growth, there's a lot of people there last night. And, I, and I, my wife and I marvel at the fact that, you know, I hate being away. Um, but I, I never come back under judgment or condemnation from the congregation nor the elders because... I think we all understand what, what's happening and, and kind of what we're assigned to do. You know, my, my dad would be deployed and he, he'd be overseas and we understood the sacrifices of military family. I missed my dad, but we understood it was a greater good. But the thing that Michelle and I marvel at is when we come back from every, every day of the week, all seven days of the week, from, from morning to night, something's happening in this building with ministries that I've never asked for, I've never strategized to assemble or put together. They've all been organic in their development. And that's what makes this church so uniquely special that causes people in the country and across the world to take notice that how do they do it? Well, many hands make light work. And, you know, some of you are at the dinner, but there's things you're doing outside. A lot of you, I mean, we have firefighters that have started a union to contend with the shots. And they've... they've They've, they've had a shot that's been heard around the world by standing in opposition to the tyranny. And, and for them, it's not, it's not pensions over principles. It's principles over their pensions. And they put everything on the line for the sake of this community. Josh Zavala, stand up, brother. Josh, come on. Here's one of them right here. He's put everything on the line for the sake of a future generation, and it's coming at an extreme cost for many. There are pilots in here that have started a revolution across the country, especially American Airlines, that refused to take the shot. And, um, and now there's the, the narrative is changing, and the house of cards is rapidly falling. Uh, long introduction because it all ties into the message. Because if you've been doing the Anchored Reading series, which is two years, it's all of us doing it together, we stay on the same page. 
The teaching is out of the Anchored series where we've been reading this week. If you haven't been doing it, the question is why? You know, a person whose Bible is falling apart is, is, is proof that their life isn't. And we stay in the same reading because we're family. My youngest child, Michael, uh, we have a family text stream. And he puts out a question for the day or something to ponder. And one of them is, is in vitro fertilization something Christians should participate in? Let's discuss. And so everyone on the family is like, but what it was doing is it was causing us to endeavor to find, you know, it's Aristotle said, the unexamined life isn't worth living. And so our family is finding unity as we we dig on these issues and we, we go deeper. And he puts one out each week and I thought, how brilliant. Well, that's what the anchored reading series is to our congregation. It unifies us. And we've been in Matthew this week. And, and Matthew 16 is unbelievable and how it speaks to our, our current situation. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. A lot of people don't know that. Churches across America posted black tiles in support of Black Lives Matter. But they posted nothing when Roe v. Wade was overturned. You know what the number one killer of black Americans is? Abortion. 4% of the population of America is childbearing black females. And they're responsible for almost 40% of the abortions in America. The birth rate in the black community used to be over 7%. Now it's 1.6. It's almost irreversible. If this trend continues, in 20 years you'll have to go to the Smithsonian Institute to see a black American. It's a holocaust on the black community. And Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist and a racist, and she wanted to get rid of what she called the Negro problem. Look, you, you, you can attack me all you want, and everyone online that, that seeks to find some sort of, you know, disagreement. Just do your homework. Quit your ad hominem attacks and just do your homework. That's who she is. And 80% of the abortion clinics in America are in the black community. The largest one in Houston, the largest abortion clinic in America is in Houston. It's right dab center in the black community. And you tell me black lives matter and you don't post anything when Roe v. Wade is overturned, the number one killer of black Americans? I don't buy it. I think you just adapt to culture and you really don't care about anything. The fear of man is a snare. And beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the leaven of Herod. You're like, why'd you bring that up? Well, if you've been following the Anchored Reading series. <laughs> we're going to be in Matthew 16. If you would, open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, these lovely folks walking down the aisle will hand you one. Just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. She's got the hardbound copy. Some of them have softbound. The, the, the hardbound sell better on eBay if you're doing that with our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep it, by the way. There we go. It's uh, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and we're in chapter 16. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll pick up at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came... And testing Jesus, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Have you heard, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky at morning, sailor take warning? Well, he's referring to the same thing. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red. And threatening hypocrites, exclamation point. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you discern, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no, we've taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, how do you reason among yourselves? Like, how, how could you possibly think this is the case? Are you that stupid? It's in the Greek. You just got to read deeper. 
how do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves? And I fed 5,000 people and how many baskets you took, nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? I can make bread. I'm the bread of life. But to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine slash teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then after that, we see Caesarea Philippi, my favorite place. This is up at the headwaters of the Jordan. And on this trip, it was one of the most profound moments for these 25 pastors and their wives um, when, when we had the teaching right out of this passage. It all ties in. We'll do that this morning, but let's go to the Lord first. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, we ask that you'd cause us to come alive to your word, that man would decrease, that your spirit might increase, that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, into all truth. And we lift up the name of Jesus, and all men would be drawn unto him. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching in Matthew. Instruct us, Holy Spirit, on what this leaven is and the misunderstandings we have in the body of Christ. Bring clarity, Lord, and understanding. We thank you that your word is true. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat if you would. Mark 8 also covers the exact same story in the Gospels. It's a different approach. And in Mark 8, um, the disciple, uh, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And um, as we just covered in Matthew 16, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees. They thought it was all about bread. Jesus says, Look, I fed 5,000, 4,000 with a handful, with a Long John Silver Happy Meal. I got that thing done. You remember that? <laughs> How is it you don't understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, verse 11, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine, the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were sworn enemies of each other. And they came together to hate Jesus. They came together to address him and attack him. They said, show us a sign. Jesus begins by saying, the only sign I'm going to give you is a sign of Jonah. And it's a mic drop and he walks away. Sign of Jonah, and they all know it, is he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights and he reappeared. And unlike Jesus who came out of the tomb, and by the way, I was just in Israel and the tomb is still empty. (laughs) When Jesus came out, he had a glorified body, but he still had the scars Touch the scars aside. When Jonah came out of the belly of the whale, he was partially digested. He's like, repent. He looked like Fire Marshal Bill. Let me tell you something. It's how I see scripture. It's what happens in my brain. Jesus uh, said, that's the sign. And he always spoke of the crucifixion, the burial, but he always tied it to the resurrection. He never talked of the crucifixion without the resurrection. There's hope because the grave, he's overcome the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The grave couldn't hold him. He was completely man, was tempted in all ways, but was without sin. And the wages of sin is death, so the grave couldn't hold him. And he paid the penalty for our sin. He died in our place, and we receive that gift by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you want a sign. That's not enough for you. You want a sign. And I remember sharing the Lord with somebody who said, you know, I'll believe if you can show me, of, uh, 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 show me a, a case that's documented of an amputation where the limb grew back. I go, really? You'll receive Christ if I can give you evidence, irrefutable evidence that that's occurred. Yes. All right. I'm going to provide that, and you're giving me your word when I show you that you will give your life to Jesus. You you promise me when I give you that evidence, you will fall on your face and give your life to Christ. Well, I'm not going to fall on my face and... So it's not about evidence. 
Be honest. No, it's not. No. Signs don't save. Everything God's ever wanted to say to man, he said, you're without excuse. Every man is without excuse. The heavens declare his glory. You're bound by the laws of nature and nature's God. The two great truths of the universe, there's a God, you're not him. You struggle with the idea of him. So there's a patriarchy, really. You're a feminist. Why are you so silent when men are dominating female sports by pretending to be women? Where, where's your voice? Where's your voice when you can't even define what a woman is now because we've obliterated the meaning of it? Because men can have babies and menstruate. You didn't know that? We're teaching our children. How stupid can you be? What is, what is wrong with you? Men can menstruate. Men can have babies. Really? You can change the old DNA? Yeah. Was that from the shot? <laughs> we know the song, don't we? Because Pfizer Pharma has a way of messing up my DNA. I'm not done yet. I have the gift of insult. I know some of you are angered by that. Look, I get it. It's just like it's Sanctity of Life Sunday and you're angered that I'm pro-life. I get that. But there's no justification as a Christian to be able to stand on that defense. The Bible doesn't give you room to be pro-choice and be a believer. Oh, you say, yet yeah, it's my body, my choice. But you don't say that when it comes to the injection. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite, if that's your position. My body, my choice, but when it comes to the injection, there's no choice. And by the way, it's not your body. That is a separate DNA of a human being. And it is a baby. It's not a blob of tissue. It's not going to grow to be a unicorn. It's a human being. And we go through this, and we look at the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were arch enemies of each other, but they stood in unity by wanting a sign, which they didn't desire, and the Lord knew that. And he said, the only sign I'm giving you is a sign of Jonah. And he would prove it as the grave would be empty, even as the Romans would try to seal it and guard it. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> the Pharisees would have been the fundamentalists, the conservatives. The Sadducees would have been the liberals. And they came together in unity to hate Jesus. Political parties unified in opposition to someone declaring that they must submit to a living God. But they added one more leaven in the gospel that isn't covered in Matthew. And Mark covered it. Jesus left them, verse 13 of Mark 8, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Herod was also a Sadducee. But the leaven of Herod, what in the world? Leaven of Herod. I got beat up by a man I admired. I used to love his teachings. I have his books. He gave me a greater understanding of what it meant to be a servant of the Lord and how to serve one another and how to wash the feet of another. I loved his teachings. And I remember he came to teach here at our church many years ago. And I was talking to him about having candidates come up in service. And he goes, that's the leaven of Herod. I said, what do you mean? You know, politics is, is dirty. Pastor should just be about the gospel. I think that's the leaven of Herod you're participating in. He read me the riot act. I was devastated. It was this guy named Gail Irwin. He wrote a book called The Jesus Style. Great book. This is an article by Gail that summarizes what he said to me that day. He calls it The Leaven of Herod. Jesus issued a warning, beware of the leaven of Herod, Mark 8, 15. Yes, he warned of other leavens, Pharisees, Sadducees. And we don't know what the leaven of Herod is, 
it seems to get ignored, and we can ignore it no longer. While the Pharisees, parentheses, fundamentalists, and the Sadducees, parentheses, liberals, represent the extremes of the religious world against which Jesus warned, Herod symbolized the political world. Actually, we violated all the 11 warnings of Jesus, but strange companions have been uncovered in the bedroom of Herod. In the day of Jesus, the Sadducees, from what we might call a liberal stance, have had chosen to make some political compromises with the ruling country of Rome. As a result, Rome decreed that the chief priest would be a Sadducee, Herod. Thus, the political bedfellows were Herod and the Sadducees. Today, we've kicked those liberals out. Herod is safely still in bed, and we conservatives, Pharisees, have crawled under the sheets in the political arena. Why do we do that? Simply because we believe that the salvation of our country, dependent on our ability to rope the raging bull of political power and to get that candidate into our corral. I've never seen such frenzied and unquestioning political activity on the part of church people, all of it built around the argument. When we take over or when our man gets in, we will turn this country around and have a utopia. I've never said there'd be a utopia. There, there's a sin nature. Our founders never believed in a utopia. That's why they, ha they understood government. Madison and the Federalist Papers said that if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. But because men are not angels, that's why they separated the powers between the legislative, judicial, and executive branches of government. Because power wants to concentrate. It's like the ring in Lord of the Rings. Gollum, my precious. It's leaven. The, the, the ring is sin. And, and, and you must bear it, not wear it. You bear the cross. You endure the shame. You stand in opposition to, to lies and deceit. You stand for truth. When you think it's about power and you wear that ring, now you're in trouble. Well, he would declare, Gail would, that believing you can make a difference as a Christian people in the political arena is somehow the leaven of Herod. He says, now, would you believe it? A whole new theology has sprung up preaching that we should be the Herod. This theology flies several banners, dominion theology, kingdom now theology, restoration theology. The bottom line of these approaches is that we Christians should take over all the power centers, financial, government, etc., of the world and establish the kingdom of God so that Jesus can come back and reign. They must think that this great we call the church is better qualified, organized, and trained to be the Herod than Nixon, Carter, or Reagan were. It seems that I hear the mother of James and John asking for some special privilege for her good boys again. Somehow we think that power corrupts everyone else, but we are in a special category. We never learn. So having said all this, what is my answer? It's too simple. We are people of hope, and our hope is in Jesus and him alone. If our hope is in this life, as Paul reveals, we are most miserable, but we are people of a different kingdom whose rule the world cannot understand and whose establishment awaits a returning king. In the meantime, the king rules in our hearts and in our actions. We are not to be a people who are not fooled by any of Herod's seductive ways. We, can't, we can even be brave enough, as Jesus was, to say to a threatening Herod, tell that fox that, he will go on, that we will go on healing and doing the work of God's kingdom until we reach our goal. We will focus our attention on Jesus himself and do what we can in his name. He goes on to say, I'm not suggesting that we don't participate in politics. Just don't participate too much. He says, the rules of political world have not changed. Rule one, get in power. Rule two, stay in power. Rule three, increase your power. The power to wash feet and to serve is an afterthought, if it is a thought at all. We must never hope that any of the systems of this world carry an ounce of redemption for us. So that's his view on the leaven of Herod. I love that man, and he is completely wrong. I would like to suggest a different view than Gail Irwin's view of leaven. Here we go. These two forms of leaven are false religious law and false civil law. I'll explain. Be patient. Well, at the same time, Jesus' use of leaven for each of them suggests a common idea. The leaven points to the capacity to spread and to the principle which gives shape to our lives. Just as leaven aerates a loaf and gives it shape, 
Herod's political leaven gives the wrong shape to one's life, and so does the religious leaven of the Pharisees. A leaven is a microorganism that you insert in the dough, and an unleavened bread is a matzah, which is typically what we have when we take communion. And, and, and they, they have this in Israel for the, they call it the afikoman. It's striped and it's pierced. It takes 18 minutes to cook, and it's, it's very quick. And that's the number of life, apparently. And, 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 and this, this unleavened bread is, is what's broken. And, and they call it the afikoman in the Seder meal, the Passover meal. It's the only non-Hebrew word in the entirety of the meal. And you know what afikoman means in the Greek? He came. They're waiting for a Messiah, and they're breaking the bread of life. And the Greek word means he came. He's already here. You guys are going through iterations that are a waste of time. He's right in front of you. And that's an unleavened piece of bread. But if you take that same dough and you insert the microorganism and let it sit, the dough will rise because these microorganisms enjoy life and they flatulate. It gives sourdough a whole new meaning, doesn't it? It's like... Just cut that open. Well, pockets of stuff. That's leaven. Leaven is uh, equated with sin. It's a metaphor for sin. It's this idea that it, it has no substance. It can't sustain life. But it does give shape. But it's not a shape that represents us. You think, well, what is, what is the metaphor? We know it to be sin. And yet, what is the leaven of Herod? What's the leaven of the Sadducees? What's the leaven of the Pharisees? And take a look at it. And it's very different than what Gail Irwin has said. Christian politics sets the civil framework within which the gospel preaching can flourish. Look, the most important thing is preaching the gospel, pastors. I agree with you. But the second most important thing is protecting the government that protects the preaching of that gospel, you moron. And I'm, I say, forgive me, I say moron because some of them just can't grasp that. They're not preaching it in North Korea. You are enjoying 247 years of unprecedented freedom and you can't even see it. Our founders were Christians. They established a form of government understanding the flawed nature of man that were not angels. And they understood the need for the two worlds, the priest and the king, to come together to address this. That's why they gave us the first 16 words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It's necessary for a free people. For you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And to say that that participating in politics as 11 of Herod is idiotic and, and misguided at best. If you will not fight for the right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may be even a worse fate. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than to live as slaves, Winston Churchill. Those who want to remove religion from politics are effectively saying that Christians should not be leaders. The civil leaders are politicians, so secularists are effectively saying that there should be no Christian leaders. I, I am to be relegated to obscurity and no longer able to participate in the public arena because I profess a faith in Christ? Well, that's a religion in and of itself. It's called secularism. Islam is a political structure disguised as a religion. Secular humanism is a religion disguised as a political process. There's good reason... To beware of it, secularists are very offended at the breach of civil law and they bring down the force of the law upon those who offend their law. What, what do I mean by this? <clears throat> the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Sadducees, the leaven of the Pharisees is real simple. 
It's really simple. It's government without a moral law. From the moral law comes civil law. You've had 247 years of unprecedented freedom because your founders wrote your birth, birth certificate. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, 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 equal, 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 endowed by their creator, 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 with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, pursuit of the highest virtue of good, which brings happiness. It's self-evident. Jefferson's way of saying any idiot can understand this. The law is the wise restraints that make men free. You apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. Any athlete understands it. Any parent. Your kids play an Xbox and wants candy for dinner. No, turn it off. Go do your homework and eat your dinner. We don't want to. If I, if I want your opinion, child, I'll give it to you. We're going to give you a future that has many options, choices. Freedom is having choices. I want you to have freedom, son. But that requires restraint. Otherwise, you'll be enslaved. You have a sin nature that wants to apply the law of the second law of thermodynamics that everything reduces to its least common denominator, where you will end up a slave. We are contending against that evil. And we're going to apply restraints towards your desire to want to indulge yourself so that you would deny yourself. Pick up your cross, your homework, and expand your choices. Well, I don't want to. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to. And I want a participation medal. I give them at school, I got an F and I still got a participation medal. And you're a fascist. I learned that. What is a fascist? I don't know, but you're one of them. And men can have babies. I might be pregnant right now because I've been eating a lot of snacks. There's more than two genders. That's the leaven of Herod. You remove the moral law and civil law becomes a weapon to enslave humanity. You say, well, that's not true in America, really. Remember when I talked about our American Airlines pilots who stood in defiance to the shot? A lot of you have taken it, and I, this isn't condemnation. I'm you any more than the, the folks, everyone in this room has been affected by abortion. It's not condemnation, but I will say this, it was wrong. Very few of you took it for its efficacy. Most of you took it because you didn't want to lose your job. And I understand that. To each one is given a measure of faith. That doesn't mean you don't stand in opposition to the next coming wave because they're getting ready for more masks and more lockdowns. And they're going to do this until they can get rid of at least a third of the population. And the actuary tables are increasing of deaths. It's just unprecedented. And by the way, I, I flew a lot in the three weeks I was gone. My life was in danger. This is Dr. Susan Northrup. She is the U.S. Federal Air Surgeon for the FAA. She's in charge of all the medical issues for all of the, the pilots around, around the country. I wonder if she understands this. Dr. Susan Northrup is also going to have to explain why there is a 300% increase in long-term disability claims filed at American Airlines January to July 2022. And what investigation the FAA made into what was disabling those pilots? You know, so many of them just dropped. There's airlines right now where they won't allow a pilot who's had the injection to fly without a pilot who hasn't. You know, I don't buy that. Well, let's just go a little further. John Heil is a pilot. John refused to take the COVID vaccine due to safety concerns. John also happens to be Dr. Susan Northrup's husband. Oh. 
The FAA, and this was on Tucker Carlson, by the way, the FAA has very quietly, tacitly admitted that EKGs of pilots are no longer normal. We should be concerned, very concerned. After the vaccine rolled out, the FAA secretly widened the EKG parameter range for pilots so they wouldn't be grounded. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, they're going to die, but, we're just, but you don't need to know that. It looks like the vax gave at least 50 million Americans heart damage. This is 118.23. Vaccines are the leading cause of coincidences, it seems. This was, this was Stephen Kirsch, and he uh, had this letter sent to him. He just received this note. It says, I am a 66-year-old commercial aviator with no previous heart problems. On January 6th, my first-class medical was deferred due to second AB block. Mobitz type 2, see picture of EKG with diagnosis. I am asymptomatic. I received both Moderna injections March and April of 2021. No booster. I am an ex-endurance athlete, road bike racer, and do not and have not taken any routine medication. I'm awaiting an appointment with a cardiologist next week. Coincidentally, my wife suffered a severe heart attack in May of 2021, eight days after her first Moderna injection. She had no previous history of heart problems. The cardiac harm, of course, is not limited to pilots. Stephen Kirsch writes, my best guess right now is that over 50 million Americans sustain some amount of heart damage from the shot. That's a lot of people who will be very upset when they realize the vaccine they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked to reverse making it more likely that people will get COVID, be hospitalized from COVID and other diseases, die from COVID and other diseases. You also have an excellent chance of getting a lifetime of heart damage for no extra charge. Collect them all. Oh, and by the way, if you, if you say this, you will be removed from YouTube. Bye. <laughs> Unprecedented censorship. Why? The truth is never afraid of a lie, but a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. They need the narrative. And they want to add a, do an ad hominem attack. If you, if you, and, and, and by the way, they pass in our California legislature that if a doctor stands in opposition to the narrative, they'll lose their license. That's why, all of you know Dr. Shawnee Anderson? She moved to Virginia because she was going to lose her license for standing in opposition to the narrative. Comes at a cost. Beware the leaven. October 24th, 2022, the FAA quietly, without any announcement at all, widened the EKG requirements necessary for pilots to be able to fly. The PR, a measure of heart function, used to be in the range of 0.12 to 0.2. It's now 0.12 to 0.3, and potentially even higher. This is a very wide range. It accommodates people who have cardiac injury. Cardiologist Tom, Thomas Levy is appalled at this change. Basically, the vaccines are causing heart injury in at least 2.8% of the people who get the shot. So 7 million Americans now have heart damage by the COVID vaccine. He admits the number could be over 100 million. The fact that the FAA quietly changed EKG parameters for pilots suggests that the vaccine is causing a huge number of pilots to fail their screening. This is tacit admission of a huge problem, and yet they still want to stick it to our kids. We stopped the swine flu injection for 200 deaths, and this is exceeding it. I, I ask this question everywhere I go across the country. I ask two questions. I say, who knows someone who's died from COVID? Not with, from. Because when I was brought before the judge on contempt charges and we had the FOIA request and there was over 100 deaths in Ventura County, we found out that of the over 100 deaths, slightly over 100 deaths, only two died from COVID. The rest died with. The youngest person to die with COVID that they paraded in front of the local newspapers and the county newspapers do you know what? He died of a drug overdose, but he tested positive for COVID. They called it a COVID death. Only two people died from COVID in the little over 100 deaths in the county. And they were both people in their 80s and, and older with comorbidities. And yet we destroy the, the county's economy. And they won't allow us to open the books and see how they can justify why they did what they did to us. And many of you who are county workers would lose your job if you don't get that shot. And now we're watching people drop. And by the way, did you know that the Pfizer CEO couldn't get into Israel because he didn't have the vaccination? He was just at the World Economic Forum, and this is what he said about all you right-wing activists who have dare to question the narrative. 
He said COVID-19 vaccines were politicized because people questioned whether they worked and that is that and 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 that that this questioning was constantly in our way. We need to get rid of them. Wow. And this is breaking news. This made it into the mainstream media in 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 the BBC. They've they've tried to suppress it, but cream rises. Cardiologist says likely contributory factor to excess cardiovascular deaths is COVID mRNA vaccine and rollout should be suspended pending an inquiry immediately. And we did it and we broke the mainstream media and and it it was such a groundswell because this guy is so well known in all of England. The oldest societies examined by archaeologists show the symbiotic relationship between king and priest. The king and the priest legitimized each other to keep control of a, over super, of a superstitious and compliant people, often with draconian punishments for disobedience. Religion and politics have mixed from the beginning of human history, and they still do. The question is, which religion and what politics? Jesus warns us against its civil perversion as the leaven of Herod, and its religious perversion as in the leaven of the Sadducees. In communist countries, a secular religion of atheism is wedded to the power of the state and likewise Islamic countries with Sharia law. Their religion and their political mix almost absolutely. In secular countries, the balance of power is more subtle because many people do not realize that secularism is another religion replacing God with man. Secular politics operates on the principle that might is right, thus the biggest cost of the taxpayers is a defense budget and the industrial war complex. Emerging over the horizon is a larger international world economic forum. This is the leaven of Herod and it's spreading. What is the leaven of Herod? It's real simple. The leaven of Herod is civil law without moral law. And when they take out God's law, his moral law, where you don't lie, Pfizer, FAA, you don't lie, you don't steal. It's the largest switch of wealth in the nation's history. You don't covet. You go through those. And once you understand the moral law, then you can apply the moral law to the civil law. And it'll be the wise restraints that make men free. But the leaven of Herod, take out the moral law, and now you can weaponize the civil law to enslave. Gail Irwin, I love you, but you are wrong. The leaven of Herod is the unwillingness of God's people to contend in the public arena for the moral law of God so that the civil law would reflect it and set the captives free. If you doubt me, just read the rest of Matthew 16. And this is, I I love God's word. This is such a fascinating chapter. God's word is so profound. It begins by saying, I'll give you a sign, sign of Jonah. And he drops the mic and walks out. And then he says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaven of Herod. And they're like, did we bring bread? And he says, dudes, I make bread. I am bread. It's leaven. Beware of that. And then he takes them up to the headwaters of the Jordan as we did with the 25 pastors and their wives. And this realm of Israel where pagan worship is prolific as they worship Bacchus and Aphrodite and Romans are everywhere and women are bathing nude in the headwaters of the Jordan and there's temples to every god or goddess etched into the walls including the gates of hell, Hades, where you had Pan who was a a chimera of man and goat. And they worship the creepiest of things. And there in the cacophony of noise of pagan worship, at the headwaters of the Jordan and Caesarea Philippi, as you follow this narrative in Matthew 16, Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But that is the wrong word. The pastors didn't understand it until we instructed them. How will they know unless they're told? You see, that word isn't church. That word didn't come until hundreds of years later. It was put there by the King James Version of the Bible. It was Tyndale who translated from the original language into the first English-speaking Bible that would revolutionize the English-speaking world. He translated that one word, and for that one word, translated not church, but assembly. He was hung by the king, and his remains were burned. Jesus didn't use a religious term. He didn't say synagogue or temple. He said ecclesia. Socrates, excuse me, Aristotle defined ecclesia or ecclesia as city hall, as the public square. Upon this rock I will build my city hall, my public square, and the gates which enslave the civil law without the moral law will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. He never talked about the crucifixion without the hope of the resurrection. And Peter, who had just been commended that my Father in heaven showed you this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Peter comes up after Jesus' teachings about the crucifixion and the resurrection, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, you're an idiot. And he said, far be it for you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. We're either for him or against him, and we change. We're sheep, and we turn into wolves, and some of us are in between. And as pastors, we're shepherding a congregation that's like switching. And Peter had struggles. We're all works in progress. And he said, get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You have fallen prey to the leaven of Herod. And he gives us the antidote to the leaven of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and Herod. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Works. You're not saved by works. But you do good works because you're saved. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not, see, or shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Huh. Good works that would glorify your Father in heaven. What did Jesus say about the law? He summed it up. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. What are good works for those who are saved by grace through faith? To do good to your neighbor and those who spitefully use you. To contend in the ecclesia, the public square for their freedom. Oh, they will crucify you. They'll mock you. All they have left are ad hominem attacks. Christo-fascists. Is that all you got? Because I will contend for you to be able to say that. I want you to have the freedom of speech. Call me whatever you want, but let everyone have the chance to speak their mind. Oh, you don't like it, so you want it censored. Where in the world of ideas does yours not have the ability to withstand the attacks of a contrary idea? It must be a lie. 
You're so frail you can't contend in the public square with your position. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod. You have no moral law. That's why your civil law is so confusing. You can't define what a woman is. It's really a mess. And you say you're a feminist while men dominate your sports. But you say they're not men because they identify as women. Do you understand the lunacy of that? What are your pronouns? I know what chocolate's pronouns are, her, she. My pronouns, for those who are asking me, you're an idiot. <laughs> beware, of, beware of that. I, I conclude with this, that you, you need to ask yourself the why and what you're doing. Look, okay, you took the shot. And, and I, God is bigger than the shot. And he can heal and you can ask him. But why would we double down and do that to our children when we see the evidence? Well, I could lose my job. That's fear of man. That's a snare. You're, you're, you're living in the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod. You have no moral law. You operate in fear. Not fear of God, but fear of man. You know what that's doing to the generations to come? Look at them. Look at your children and your grandchildren and say, I'm too much of a coward to stand in defense of truth because I'm afraid of the consequences that my temporal comfort would be injured for the sake of your future of freedom. That's not true with Josh. Right, brother? Yeah. And by the way, what you're doing here at God Speak is a ripple that's resonating across the country. Amen. Kurt Adams, I see you over there, pilot. You, 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 you lost a lot. You wouldn't take that shot. And I won't say the airline, but that was a tough one to stand in opposition to. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all of you. Yes, I'm proud of your wife too because she's, she's living without income and she's doing it with joy. Yeah, there's lots of you. I could spend all day, but I got a minute. <laughs> Michelle and I were gone for three weeks to come back and I, I love coming home. I hate leaving. I don't want to do it anymore, but just like my dad would be deployed I missed him. He hated to go. But there was work to be done. And I come back and you make me feel so welcome. There's no judgment on my absence. Instead, ministries are flourishing because of your involvement. Newspapers are started that contend with the local rag. And by the way, Kyle, I didn't put that together. It was a handful of people who did. I, I thank you that you give me credit and you keep trying to do it. Like I'm the one who I didn't do it. It was you all who did it. You're the ones who folded and, and others from around the community gathered our church. This building is a beacon of freedom with fearless men and women. Yeah. And you're making an enormous difference. And if you doubt that, just come with me and Michelle sometime. When we travel, people come up out of nowhere and thank us. And I'm, I'm receiving thanks on your behalf because I wouldn't be able to be there, nor would they be thanking me for anything if you weren't allowing us to do what we do. So... This is a joint venture. And just as we commended the volunteers last night, I want to say thank you to all of you. Michelle and I love you deeply and we're blessed. To be, and I know Rick and Tammy the same way. We're so grateful. It's such a, a joyful privilege to pastor a fellowship. So brave. Lord, thank you for the gift of God speak in our lives.
the sweet fellowship of those who fear you and not man, those who are willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross. They recognize the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. They understand the value of the moral law and they contend in the ecclesia for their neighbor's freedom. Lord, they get it. Even when the church at large would not understand and ridicule, even though others would apply ad hominem attacks, they are not discouraged. They are more persuaded to continue for the sake of the freedom of their neighbors. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for your word, which is so profound. As I, I saw it today, just so clearly outlined by you, just to encourage all of us. And I am so grateful, God, that you know what we need and when we need it. For your word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive. And it causes us to come alive. And we are blessed. Thank you that we are not slaves to man. We're slaves to righteousness. And you are a good master and you've come to set us free. And we worship you in spirit and in truth and we honor you. What a good God you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the restrainer of evil, that you're the spirit of Christ, that you lift up Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the example of laying down our lives that others might live. And so we honor you. We praise you and we thank you. We are great sinners, but you are a great savior. We thank you for saving us. Use our lives while we're on this earth that we would honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.